When our first child was almost three, and our second child was almost two, I said to my dad, man, I'll sure be glad when our kids are all three and over. So he looked at me with this quizzical expression. I, you know, out of the terrible twos. Dad just shook his head and said, Rick, <laughs> they don't get out of the terrible twos until they're past 21. <laughs> and I wonder if in his mind he was thinking, when's Rick ever going to get it? <laughs> He's in heaven now, probably still thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, the first point is that we can get frustrated with those who just can't seem to get to maturity. Grow up, would ya? You ever seen a parent deeply frustrated with their progeny and they say, quit acting like such a child. And to which a kid with tears in their eyes might say, but I am a child. But what about those who aren't children and still act like it? How much can we trust who win? And hey, I'm still working on this. And I want to know, how long does this working on it go on? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Thirty years after his conversion, even the Apostle Paul is not perfect, nor has he obtained this. Well, obtained this what? Let's go back just a paragraph and find out. It's a reminder for those of you who were here a few weeks ago. After Paul talked about his tremendous pedigree, his DNA, his exceptional learning, the amazing amount of effort he expended, and his achievement of perfection, as he used to measure it, he said it all means nothing. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he has not yet obtained resurrection from the dead, and obvious, you got to die before you can be resurrected. So, yeah, that's true. But what does he mean, the power of his resurrection? Is he simply repeating the same idea two different ways? Maybe. Or maybe this is a part of knowing Christ. Is Paul saying he has not yet obtained a perfect understanding of the power of Christ's resurrection? Could it be... He has not yet obtained the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. Is Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one writing the Bible, still pressing on to achieve this? I think so. So if the Apostle Paul needed to keep pressing on to achieve righteousness, knowing Christ and his power of his resurrection, and indeed on to resurrection from the dead, then we <laughs> certainly must realize that we still have a lot of race to run before we get there. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Perfect. Not attained or perfect. Maybe we can look at the way 
Paul used this word translated here, perfect, for a little more understanding. Not very hard to do. He only uses it on two other occasions. The first was in a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. He has defined powerful agape love to them and told them that this love will last, whereas the showy gifts that they so desperately desired, secret knowledge and the ability to publicly speak, prophesy, in languages they never learned, won't. And then he says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here, Paul clearly uses perfect to mean what we will be given as our glorified existence. Perfect bodies, perfect communication, perfect knowledge. And of course, the perfect, powerful, agape love, along with our faith and hope, that will always be. The only other time that we know of that Paul used this word for perfect was not in a letter, but in a talk he gave to the elders, pastors, from the city of Ephesus. Luke records that he spoke of how he had served them, even in the midst of terrible persecutions, of how he had done all God wanted him to do for them, but that now his future, which the Holy Spirit had made clear to him, included imprisonment and even more afflictions. And yet, he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The word finish is the same Greek word. Perfect or perfect. Paul says that if he can keep up the good work he has done so far through the imprisonment and afflictions that he is shortly to experience, then this will be perfection. Even though he has made it clear that he has not yet achieved perfection. <laughs> if we do our job clear to the end, as we should, will we have achieved perfection? Even though our current level of imperfection probably greatly exceeds that of the Apostle Paul's. <laughs> I think in a sense it is true. So keep pressing forward. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Press on, straining forward, press on. You think maybe they get the idea that Paul is trying to make a point here? <laughs> a point from two different directions. He has a right attitude from both directions. He knows he hasn't achieved the ultimate. He knows he will achieve the ultimate. We have to watch out for those who either think they have arrived or think they never will arrive. Uh, both will drag us down. The kind who think that they have already arrived <clears throat> tend to put everybody else down because, well, they're real sure that they're obviously better than everybody else, right? <laughs> and then the kind who think they'll never make it are like crabs in a pot, always dragging everyone else back down with them. Because if we make it out of the muck, then they have no excuse for wallowing in the muck, do they? And of course, they can't allow anyone to be better than them at anything or accept that anyone is better than they are. 
In contrast to either of these two, Paul has a balanced attitude that we need to grow into. We're not there yet, but we will get there because Christ Jesus had made us his own. We can let others be better than us because we know we will one day be perfect. (laughs) It's okay that we're not there yet. Love and peace can flow because we know where we're going. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What goal is worth pressing towards? What is the goal about which Paul is speaking that is worth pressing towards? What is the prize? Not just our eventual resurrection, but the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just what our new life and the new creation will be, but the call that draws us there. That's the goal. That's the great prize. An old preacher was dying. He sent a message for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom and they entered the room. The preacher held out his hands and motioned for them to sit on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, and stared at the ceiling. For a long time, no one said anything. Both the banker and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments. They were also puzzled. They'd never really believed all this stuff, and the preacher had never given them any indication that he was particularly enamored with either of them. They both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness and avarice behavior that made them squirm in their seats. Finally, after staring back and forth at each other for what seemed like an eternity, the banker asked, Preacher, why did you ask us, Joe and I, why did you ask us to come? The old preacher mustered up strength, strength and then said weakly, Jesus died between two thieves and I just wanted to be like him. I know that doesn't have a lot to do with the sermon, but hey, we needed a break. So uh, uh, anyway, you could, as soon as you're talking about eternal life, but to get back to it, uh, let's look at six samples in Paul's writings of what it means to be called. The first is God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Paul talked much about this to the Philippians, as we discussed in an earlier talk. For now, let's just say that impurity should be something we flee, something we leave behind as we press forward towards the holiness to which we are called. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, telling of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saved through sanctification, separating from impurity, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called us, so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're kind of feeling a theme here. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to have fellowship with Jesus, a relationship to him and with him. But there is more to fellowship than that. And we'll get to it after this. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we are all called to be conformed to the image of his Son. Born in the image of God, born again by the Spirit in the image of his Son. What image? (laughs) Well, that of his righteousness, living in the right way, internally in our minds and thoughts, and externally in our actions. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Right living, righteousness, is what brings peace into our hearts, not external circumstances. Uh, The peace on earth that the angels talked about at Jesus' birth is about an internal peace, not about an absence of external conflicts. The additional bit about fellowship promised you is also right here. We were called into one body. We are members of his true church. Not, not some organization, as important as that might be, but part of the organism that is the body of Christ. The knee bone is supposed to be connected to the thigh bone. <laughs> All believers are connected. I mean, we've talked about it more than once here. Not fellowshipping with other believers is not an option for any mature believer in Jesus Christ because we all belong in one body. One of Paul's last recorded uses of the concept of calling was in his first note to Pastor Timothy. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In case you don't know it, pastors aren't the only ones who were called to eternal life. And of course, we can't make eternal life happen for us. It's a result of faith in Christ. What Paul means is that we should act like people who are headed to eternal life. We should do things that people who know they have eternal life as their future would do. Because we do have eternal life in our future if we're called to it. Okay, is that bored enough about this being called? Uh, Back to our Philippian believers. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Here we go again with this mature thinking thing. (laughs) Paul sure has a lot to say about thinking. In this short letter alone, he uses the Greek word ten times. Ten. It might help us take a quick look at them all to get an idea of how Paul is telling us to think as we press forward to perfection. What does think mean? Paul had a deep affection for these believers and right at the beginning of the letter he said, it is right for me to feel this way about you. To feel translates to think this way. It's right for me to think this way about (laughs) y'all. If you're Southern. Obviously, emotions and thoughts are closely connected. In that time, they seem to differentiate only a very little between the two. And perhaps we have artificially separated thinking and feeling, separated the mind and the emotions too much. Maybe the truth is that how we think drives how we feel. How we think drives how we feel. I think let's let that sink in. How we think drives how we feel. In the next chapter, Paul uses the word for think three times, 
twice in one sentence. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Of the same mind is with the same thinking. Again, a little wider definition than we're used to. Then he expands the thought slightly by saying, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Our new same thinking, one-mindedness, will be that of Jesus if we are his. There are two occurrences of the word in the verse we are considering today, and then he uses the same word in describing evil teachers. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their minds, their thinking, is badly focused. We'll actually discuss that next week, so we'll leave that. Later, Paul deals with a sustained disagreement between two women in the church. The next and very enlightening use of the word, I entreat Iodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To agree is to think the same. That's actual Greek. Maybe like one mind, which is ours in Christ, one mind that should result in peace, not argument, if we are spiritually mature. (laughs) Even when, towards the end of the letter, Paul discusses their monetary gift, he is concerned with thinking. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Concern translates your thinking about me. Twice he uses it here. So we got a good view of Paul's use of the idea of thinking. In all the rest of Paul's writing, he uses the word only 13 times. All of his writings put together. But with the same thrust, thinking and thinking alike, knowledge itself, uh, on what one thinks. Uh, high thinking can, uh, you know, points to arrogance. Thinking as relates to one understanding of oneself and then the mental, emotional exercise that leads to peace and harmony. So a broader meaning than we might think, but not so far from our normal understanding that we can't get it. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. That's a very strange statement. (laughs) But all he means is that if a person belongs to God, as did these Philippians, they will eventually get it, this correct thinking. So relax. (laughs) Those who are born of the Spirit will eventually think things out correctly. We will eventually get it. It's like what Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. If we're not sure, just ask God. Just ask him about it. If we press on to do God's will, his calling for us, then we too will understand the truth. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Whatever we do, let's not go backwards. We all, every believer, know something of the truth. Hold on to that. Live that. Oh, should I do this or should I do that? You know, you know know that much. Those things you do know, do them. And don't do those things you know you should not. Life's not all that complex, really. God wants the best for us. Let's just listen to him and just live it. 
let us hold true to what we have attained. And last, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're back to the beginning, aren't we? (laughs) Imitate me, Paul says. Hey, Paul, you just told us that you aren't there yet. Remember how we talked about those who think they have arrived and those who are sure they never will get there? The perfect people want us to be a carbon copy of them. Not as good, of course, but in every way possible like them. The there is no such thing as perfection, so why should I even try? People want us to be, well, disgusting and dirty exactly like they are. (laughs) And Paul says, imitate me. Watch Epaphroditus and Timothy and others who live like me. Even though Paul fully admits he has not yet obtained perfection, they, and we, should imitate him and those who live as he did. Well, wait a minute. He can't mean imitate me in not being perfect. He's already said too much against that sort of thing. So what does he mean? In what way are we to imitate him? In pressing forward. <laughs> pressing forward to the perfection God has for us. No, we're not going to get there in this life. But let us be straining forward to what lies ahead. Don't be discouraged just because you're not there and won't ever get there in this life. Press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Therein lies spiritual maturity. Knowing we are not perfect, but ever straining towards the perfection that will be ours through Christ Jesus. About the same time that Paul wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to another group of believers he deeply loved. Listen to how he sums it up for them. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are all called to perfection. And it's no headline news (laughs) that we have not achieved perfection. But our calling is perfect and leads to perfection with no exception. In the very last letter Paul wrote, this time from a prison cell he knew he was to leave only to die, Paul again instructed Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us. In Christ Jesus, before the ages began. No one alive has the same calling as Paul. Not even close. Only some have one similar to Timothy's. But all who believe have a holy calling. All who believe have a holy calling. So forget what lies behind. All of our imperfections, all of our failures, and strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we know, we know that we have eternal life ahead of us. We know that the call 
that you have on us toward Jesus Christ, your Son, is real. And it will pull us all the way through. We're going to make it. Now, Lord, help us to live like we're going to make it. (laughs) Help us to show people your eternity in us that will one day lead to our perfection. Help us, Lord, to live like people who are going to be perfected. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message, First for Dead Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to visit us online at southbeachhope.org where you can download full transcripts of this and other sermons as well as other helpful files. We are so pleased that we can worship with you via sermon.net but hopefully we'll someday be able to praise God together in person. If not in Westport, at least in the rapture.